Today, we continue our series on uh, myths that lead to misbelief, and we're talking about the magnificent uh, book of God, the Bible, and this is the third message that I've delivered on that from the same passage. Today, we're only going to take two uh, verses from that passage, but um, you may wonder, why are you spending so much time on that particular, this, this idea, this myth? The myth that we've been dealing with here is that the Bible is just one of many religious books that's, you know, full of stories and other myths and that sort of thing, but it's not relevant to most of modern life. That's the myth that we commonly hear out there that we've been dealing with. And you say, so three messages on that? Yeah, three messages on that. Because first of all, the passage that we've read is very uh, very powerful, and it's very clear about the importance of God's Word. So we got to get this right. See, this is the thing, because if we don't get this right, then we won't get the other stuff right. And so that's why we're kind of, we camped here. This is the last message, and we'll move to the next myth next week. But this one, I wanted to make sure that we spent the right amount of time talking about the value and the nature of, of God's Word. I heard the story sometime back about a man who stood up in his congregation. He's in a congregation that it wasn't uncommon for someone occasionally to rise up and say, I have a word from God, thus saith the Lord. And this man, he stood up and very authoritatively, he said to the congregation, thus saith the Lord, know that even as I was with Abraham when he led the children of Israel through the wilderness, so I will be with you. And then he sat down And he sat down and his wife nudged him and she whispered something to him. And then suddenly he stood back up real quickly and he said, Thus saith the Lord, I was mistaken, it was Moses. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the man man speaking may have been mistaken, but I can tell you one thing, when God speaks, he's never mistaken. And what God has said in his word is authoritative. It doesn't have to be corrected. God never has to come back and say, you know what I said back there? I need to restate that so it'll work in modern times. That never has to happen. God has given us his word, and unlike us, God never fails to make good on what he has said. And that's why it's so important that we have a right view of the scripture. Our world's full of misbelief. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? And many of them masquerade as Bible truths. And uh, I, I came across some, um, in my files, I came across some comments about from people that kind of a survey, a man on the street kind of deal. You've seen those sorts of things where what do you think about? What do you think about? And this particular one, it was what do you think about the Bible? And uh, there were uh, page after page of different comments from people. Let me share some of them with you. One man said, well, my personal opinion is that the Bible is just a novel, uh, one that has been written and rewritten, updated and changed over thousands of years. A woman said, I think that people interpret the Bible too literally, and that causes a lot of problems. Another uh, said, this is a difficult question. Now listen to this. This man said, this is a difficult question, especially because I'm, I'm a leader in the church. He said, I don't want to be accused of heresy, but here it goes. He said, I think uh, all of the junk about who begot who should be ditched. It's not important in any historical and moral way. And then he goes on to say, a lot of the Old Testament stuff makes for nice reading and can be helpful and instruction, uh, instructive, just like, say, Aesop's fables. He said, and then, I don't believe that it is to believe, be believed in its entirety. But he didn't want to give his name. He was a leader in his church. Another said this, I can't see how you can live your life according to a book. 
Why live with restrictions? Just use your brain to know what's right and wrong. I kind of think that's what's got us in trouble. Hello? Another said, I think the Bible's a waste of time. And another said, I think the Bible is flawed and it is simply the opinions of a bunch of people. Well, that's just a small sampling of some of the responses that they got. And, and it's not unlike some things that you've heard before, like the Bible is full of contradictions. You ever heard that one before? Well, I, I don't believe the Bible because it's full of contradictions. Here's been my experience over 40 years of talking and hearing people say that. It is generally stated by people who have never really investigated the supposed contradictions that they're, they're talking about. It is often from people who have assumed that there are contradictions because they want there to be contradictions because if there aren't contradictions, then they have to take it seriously. Or they assume there are contradictions because somebody just simply told them that. Well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Or you've heard this one, the Bible is offensive because it does not allow people to live as they choose. The Bible offends people. It doesn't let them live the way they want to live. And, you know, today in the world we live in, the ultimate crime is to be intolerant, right? That's the ultimate crime. So anything or any teaching that doesn't tolerate everything or every teaching is in this world, in this culture, presumed to be false. By the way, ironically, that conclusion itself is intolerant. And frankly... Have you noticed that the people who for years screamed about you got to tolerate everything has now become the most intolerant, including those who follow God and those who believe the Word of God? So that's kind of background this morning to set up what I want to talk with you about in this third message on the Word of God, the magnificent book of God it really is. I'm going to show you some things today why you and I need the Word of God. Would you stand with me uh, for just a moment as we read our two verses today? We've read in the past all from 12 to 17, but just two today that I pull out of the passage we've been looking at, verses 16, 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. Keep that word in mind. We'll come back to that in just a moment. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. Father, thank you for the word of God. And uh, Father, I pray that you'll help us um, understand its intense value and how, Father, it is the filter for our lives. It's a filter, God, against a lot of lies that go on, even those that often masquerade as light and sound like truth. But Father, help us to allow our lives to be governed by your holy word. Show us today, Father, how important it is and how helpful it is to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, just like this whole passage, these two verses, uh, along with the, the entire context, are incredibly value if we're going to understand the nature and the character and why the Scripture is relevant and helpful uh, to us. And Paul is pointing to not only the authority of Scripture in these verses, but he's pointing to the value and the help and how relevant the Scripture is in relationship to our personal life, our personal relationship with God, and to the kingdom of God in eternity. You say, so why is it so important? Well, because you're now living in what has been termed, I didn't term it this, but it's been termed and everybody understands it. You're now living in an age called the cancel culture, the cancel culture. And, and the cancel culture today that you and I live in uh, oftentimes seeks to undermine many of the absolutes that our lives are to be built upon. So you have got to be able to say, I know 
that I know that I know that the Bible is the Word of God and is the foundation that will carry my life. So today what I want to do is I want to show you what the interaction of God's Word is designed to do in our lives. And I want to do that by giving you four things that make the Bible extremely relevant and extremely important in our life. The first is this, found in verse 16, the Bible cultivates our soul. It cultivates our soul. Again, I I mentioned the word profitable. Uh, Your translation may say something else like useful or valuable, but it is profitable. Paul describes the scripture as something beneficial to us. That's what the word means. It means that you're going to benefit from it. So Paul is saying that the scripture, the Bible, the, the, the truth of God is beneficial to us. And he goes on to speak of the personal work and the benefits that result from allowing the scripture to permeate our life. It's active. It does something. And the first profitable thing or product, you might say, uh, that God's word uh, provides to us is teaching. Did you see that? The first thing you're going to see these four things right there, teaching. He says it's profitable for teaching. Now, the idea here is teaching correct doctrine. In other words, the scripture is, is beneficial to us in that it teaches us the truth, the absolute truth, the, the doctrinal truth that we build our lives upon. It's talking about doctrine. Doctrine is, is the foundation of our faith. And that's the implication here. The scripture helps you know what the right things to believe are. And so that's why Paul says it is useful to us. It is profitable to us because it teaches us the truth about God. It teaches us the truth about ourselves. It teaches us about life, how to live life, and it teaches us about eternity to come. It is our source of truth. Listen, it is the source of truth. It is our source of truth. It is not a source of truth. Do you see the difference? It's not a source of truth. It is the source of truth. It is our sole uh, uh, source uh, of truth. And here's what I mean. Because that is true, what we don't do is take Scripture and what it says and then say, okay, here, so here's what the Scripture says. Let me then see what the majority of people say. You remember the survey that I read you, these quotes about what people thought? A lot of people today say, well, I know what the Bible says, but... A lot of people believe this and this and this and this. So let's just take and try to mix the two and create a hybrid belief about the scripture. We don't do that. We don't take the Bible and say, I want to compare it with the opinions of what uh, others uh, think or say. I don't even want to take it, look, and say, well, there are other religious books. There are lots of religious books. And so let's compare the Bible with other religious books and let's try to kind of work out something that compromises between them all. You can't do uh, that with the scripture. Scripture's not designed that. Uh, We don't decide how we should live and and what we should believe based on the opinions of fallen uh, people and of books that aren't divinely inspired. No, the Word of God is our sole source of truth in every area of life. It is a standard for living. Everything is to be viewed through its teaching. I said a couple weeks ago, it's a filter. I got these glasses on. It helps me see you. And the Scripture is like the lenses of God. And so we can look through the scripture and we evaluate our life, 
what's right, what's wrong. We evaluate what's going on in our world through the lens of Scripture. We don't let the world determine what's right about the Scripture. We don't even let our opinions, our minds say, what is right? Well, I like this. I don't like that. And so it is the filter is a source of truth for us. And if you're serious about truth and you're serious about getting life right, doing life right, then you must be taught uh, in the Word of God. Timothy was pastoring in that first century. He was pastoring in an age that is almost identical to the age you and I are living in. And many people swallowed all kinds of false ideas and false teachings and false preachings, including many people in the church, which is why Paul is writing to this young pastor. And so he's reminding him, Timothy, you've got to stay close to the Scriptures in order to teach the church the right theological doctrinal belief. And so that's why he's encouraging him there because he wanted him to teach truth to the congregation. Today, our world wants to deviate from the things of God that do not fit very well into the accepted practices or the cancel culture. And that's why we often hear the expression that the Bible's not relevant for modern life. Did you know that's exactly what they were saying when Timothy was preaching? That this is not relevant. The scriptures were, and they had the Old Testament scriptures, and they were saying the prophets and the law and all that stuff. It's irrelevant today. We're so far past that, and it has to, it has to be adopted and adapted and adjusted to us. That's what they were saying. That's just like the message we're hearing today. Well, the Bible is outdated. It's an ancient book. It's irrelevant. It's the same thing. And you know what Paul would say to us? He's saying, look, the scripture is valuable for teaching us the right stuff. It is the standard upon which we base our life. So God's Word is profitable because it cultivates our souls with the truth, with the right doctrine, a sound belief, and it helps us understand what we believe. And then it keeps us grounded uh, in the right things. But there's a second thing it does for us too, why it's helpful to us, why it's profitable to us, because it also convicts us of sin. The Bible convicts us of sin. Verse 16, did you notice, depending on what translation you're reading from, it says it's uh, profitable for teaching, that's number one, and then for reproof or rebuke. The idea there is that uh, of discipline. Uh, it's a disciplinary term, rebuke or reproof, whatever your translation says. It's disciplinary in, nation, in, uh, in nature. In other words, the scriptures bring conviction to our life. Now, you can ignore it if you want to, but you do so at your own peril. A few years ago, um, uh, a fellow by the name of Shane Maxner died in an avalanche. He was 27 years old, and he and four of his friends drove to the Canyons Ski Resort outside of uh, Park City, Utah. They rode the ski lift up to the top of the mountain, and then they, they hiked on beyond the top of the mountain up further into an area that was uh, fenced off with a gate that said, uh, out of bounds. And uh, of course, it says it was avalanche territory, not to go beyond this, not to ski beyond this gate and everything. Well, you know what they did? They just went on through the gate and they skied down, they snowboarded down. Actually, the mountain, they, uh, the first time, they went back up a second time, did the same thing, went right on through the, uh, the gate and began, uh, uh, Shane began down the mountain first, and his buddies were up, and about, he, he had gotten started and gone not very far down the mountain, and an avalanche began. 
And his friends screamed at him, avalanche, avalanche. But the fact is, he was too far into the run to do anything about it. And two days later, they dug his body out, dead, of course, because the avalanche had overtaken him. The media was, was uh, as they critiqued what had happened, they said these were young, foolish guys who didn't pay attention to the signs and didn't know what they were doing. They were amateurs and that sort of thing. But the truth is, they weren't amateurs. They were highly experienced pros. In fact, three of the five were uh, uh, avalanche certified skiers. They had tools and they had, um, they had special gear that enabled them to, uh, to deal with avalanches. If they encountered one, they were uh, what they call backcountry guides. And yet, none of them carried their avalanche equipment with them. They completely ignored that. And, and the fact is, it was later reported that uh, skiers who ski these backcountry trails often, uh, though they've had avalanche training and though they have certifications and though they have special gear for that, they can be seduced by faulty reasoning. In other words, I know how to deal with these things. I've been trained in these sorts of things. And they can, that faulty reasoning can cause them to say, I don't need to play by the same rules everybody else does. This guy didn't die because he was a fool. He died because he used faulty reasoning and he ignored the very clear messages that were in front of him. We all have a tendency to be kind of like the skier, don't we? We all have a tendency to go rogue, to get on the back country, to get on paths that we don't need to be on and travel down those paths. And we don't have any business being there. And without the conviction and the confrontation of God's word, we're going to be just like the skier out of bounds. We're going to get out of bounds, think we can handle whatever is there, and sooner or later, we're going to be overtaken by the ideas of the world, the avalanche of the philosophies of this life and the culture, and it'll overwhelm us. And by the way, you say, say well, what's the consequence? There is a way that seems right into man, but in the end, it is a way of destruction, Proverbs says. I got this. I know what I'm doing. I can ski out of bounds for a while, but it's okay because of who I am and what I know. And I'll get back on the right path eventually, and eventually will never come for some because they'll be overtaken by the system, the world system. But the Word of God, you see, is profitable because it convicts us, it shows us when we're off the path, when we're out of bounds. In fact, Paul said in Romans, he said, if it weren't for the Scriptures, the law, he said, if it weren't for the scriptures of the law, I wouldn't know that I was a sinner. What does this book do? It convicts us. We read this book and we see things and say, that's got to change for me. That's got to change. It brings conviction into our soul. It, 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 it shows us where we're out of bounds. So we may not like all of the word, but we need all of the word. One of the most tragic things a person that claims to follow Christ can experience is avoiding and dodging the places where Scripture makes them uncomfortable and convicts them of their sin. I'll just replace that. You know, I've noticed something uh, in the age you live. Have you, have you ever found anybody that didn't believe in heaven? I mean, there may be some folks out there, but by and large, most people believe in heaven, no matter whether they're 
whether they're religious or whether they're Christian uh, or uh, 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 don't know anything about God. Have you ever noticed people all believe there's a heaven afterwards and everybody gets there? That's what is common. But if you, if you say, do you believe in hell? No, no. Hell's what you experience on earth. But heaven, everybody gets heaven kind of thing. Why is that? Because we don't believe or we don't want to receive all of Scripture that teaches it not, it's not one it's, it's this and this, the full counsel of God. Now, let me just add something right here. Because this is a rebuke. This is a reproof. This is conviction, right, of God. I, I, I want you to understand something. Did you know God does not reprove you? He does not rebuke you. He does not convict you out of anger or revenge. In other words, God doesn't go, I am going to get you. I am so angry with you. Now, does God get angry with us? Absolutely. But does God discipline us in anger? You know, we're told never discipline a child in anger. But when you discipline in anger, you're really disciplining for your sake. Never discipline to get revenge. I'm going to show you. By the way, if anybody... If anybody had the right to discipline and revenge, it would be God, right? I mean, that's why you and I aren't God. Man, I'd be zapping people. And you would too, wouldn't you? Now, I think he deserves it. Listen, God doesn't do that. Thank Jesus he doesn't do that. Amen? Amen. Wow. And so just remember, he he doesn't reprove us or convict us because he's angry He reproves and convicts us because he loves us deeply. The Bible said, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The fact is, by the way, if you can blow it and you can mess up and you can sin and you find no conviction in your life, it may be because there's no relationship to your Savior. When you can read the word and not fall under conviction of something that you know in your life, it may be that that you're not genuinely a follower of Christ because whom the Lord, and if there's no discipline in your life, nobody likes discipline. The Bible says no one likes discipline, but it is necessary, the Bible teaches. And if there's no discipline in your life from time to time, you ought to say, hmm, why does not, I've not experienced any discipline. Whom the Father loves, he disciplines, and he does so for our good. And because God disciplines us out of love, he doesn't stop there. And that leads me to the third thing that I want to show you this morning, and that is the Bible corrects our course. All right, so are you watching? The Bible is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof or conviction of sin. And then it's profitable for correction. This is the only place in the New Testament where the word correction is used. And here's what it means. It means to set something that's fallen over. It means to set it up straight. It's fallen over and it's set up straight. You know what happens when you and I sin? The the Spirit of God in us convicts us. The Word of God convicts us. And guess what we do? If If we respond properly, we respond to God and God straightens us back up. Correction. Here's the great thing about Scripture. Scripture just A lot of people, when they look at Scripture, they say, oh, it's just a book to tell you what you're doing wrong. No, no, no. It's far more a book to tell you how to do life right. And so aren't you glad that when God does convict us of sin, he doesn't say, okay, I'm convicting you of sin. I just want you to know that you're a dirty, rotten sinner. 
Well, I already know that. I just want you to know you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Good luck. Aren't you glad God doesn't stop there with the conviction? What he does is he convicts us and he says, right, you're a sinner. But the good news is I've got a better way. And I will direct you if you will respond to me. If you'll respond to the conviction, I will direct you. That's correction. God doesn't just condemn sin. He corrects us. He straightens us back up. That's the idea. The goal is discipline and not punishment. It is correction. So when we get convicted of our sin, then God also shows us how to get back on the right path. He doesn't leave us there in the ditch saying, you blew it. You blew it. I'm gone. He says, look, you blew it, but you've responded to me and the conviction of the spirit and the truth of my word. So come on, let's get moving in the right direction. It straightens us out. It shows us where we are and how to get where we need to be. Had Robinson, a, a, a great preacher from a past a few decades, tells a story about uh, many years ago when the world's most complicated clock was displayed for the first ta- time in Copenhagen, Denmark. And listen, this clock was spectacular at the time. It wouldn't be, I guess, today by modern standards, but at the time, it took them 40 years to build this clock. And it cost a million dollars. That was an unheard of amount back then. And they finally finished it. They displayed it in the, uh, the, the town uh, uh, hall in Copenhagen, Denmark. And they announced that the clock was accurate to within two-fifths of a second every 300 years. And the ten faces of the clock told the time of day, the day of the week, the week of the month, the month of the year, the year of the century, and it tracked the movements of the stars and the planets and the suns for 2,500 years. There were parts, in other words, in that clock that would not even move for 2,500 years. But in spite of the clock's intricate detail and design, it was still not totally accurate and precise because, again, it still lost two-fifths of a second every 300 years. I want to ask, how would anybody know? <laughs> you know? I'm still here. I'm watching that clock. You know, uh, How'd they know? There is a way they knew. You know, and, and you obviously would like to know. How would they know? How would they measure that? It's long? They used as a measurement the most accurate clock that's ever been created. You know what it was? The universe. The sun, the stars, and the planets do not vary in their patterns. These are so accurate, by the way, that essentially you could say all the clocks of the world are really governed by the motion of the heavenly bodies. That's how they would know uh, if it had lost time in relation to when it started in conjunction with the rotation of the stars and, and, and suns in the planet and the planets. Well, you say, what's the point of that? Well, just like that, the Word of God is an accurate standard that we look at and we can correct our life accordingly. In other words, it doesn't change. And so what we do is we measure our life. Am I off course? We measure our life by looking at the Scripture. It's an unchangeable measuring stick, right? And so 
How do I know when I'm off? By just two-fifths. I may not be off far, but I'm off two. I, I know it because I measure my life against the teaching and the truth of the Scripture, which is uh, uh, completely accurate and never, never varies. And by the way, the Scripture then doesn't adjust to me. If, and that's what we kind of hear today. Well, the Scripture needs to catch up to the times. The times need to go back to the Scripture. You see, and so what happens is if I'm off, I need to have a stand. What can I look at? Well, I measure, what we do is we measure ourselves against other people. Well, I know I'm off course, but they're way off course. So compared to them, I'm a lot better off. That's not the standard. By the way, nobody, if you don't know Christ, you're not going to get to stand before God one day and go, you know, I never confessed Christ as my Savior, but I'll tell you what, I was a lot better than a whole bunch of other people. That doesn't work because the standard is not how good you were. The standard was perfection, and Jesus is the only perfect individual ever. That's why I've got to have his work in, uh, to replace my work. See, that's why the cross is so important. And what does the Word do? The Word keeps us in line with the truth. So the Bible is profitable for us because it teaches us, number one, we talked about it, teaches sound doctrine, Right? Number two, it convicts us of sin so we know when we're off course. And number three, it does more than just convict us, it corrects us. It shows us this is the way you're going, this is the way you need to go, all right? But there's one final thing I want you to see, and that is that the Bible consecrates our life. That's number four on your outline. Notice he uses the phrase, and it's profitable for training in righteousness, the Bible's our instruction manual for a righteous life. It's a field guide. It's a road map. It's an owner's manual, and it will train you in righteousness. God is righteous, and when God looks at us, he sees Christ in us, the righteousness of, of Christ in us, but guess what? That is an ongoing process, the transformation. We're saved when he comes in, but the transformation just begins, and and and. And the manual, God's Word, is the means by which He trains us in righteousness to become more and more transformed into the character and the image of Christ. And so the idea here is that the Word of God affects both our mind and our morals. It shapes our actions. It shapes our attitudes. It affects our outlook. And it determines our responses, uh, by the way, in a manner that is consistent with the actions and the attitudes and the outlook and the responses of God toward life. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want to, I, when I ask that, I'm kind of asking that tongue-in-cheek because my assumption is we all want to grow spiritually. I, I told the Lord recently in my prayer time, just this past week, I said, God, don't let me be content where I am spiritually. God, I want to go deeper with you. And by the way, that process... This, this training in righteousness begins when you come to know Christ, and guess when it ends? When you stand before Christ, when either he returns to get us or we die and go to him. That process doesn't end in this life, but we can get content and we can stop and short-circuit. And I, I, I told him, Lord, don't let me be content to stay here where I am spiritually, so do you want to grow spiritually? Then guess what? You've got to be trained. He said right here, this book is profitable for training in righteousness. You've got to be trained in righteousness. Now, coming to Christ doesn't guarantee holy living. 
There's no guarantee because you came to Christ that suddenly you're going to become a super saint. We have to commit ourselves to grow, and growth demands training and doing and changing. And the process for spiritual training for in righteousness uh, has several components. And if you can write fast, write these down. If not, come back and listen to them on a podcast or something like that. But let me give them to you, all right? First of all, if you're going to be trained in righteousness, you must take in personal spiritual information. Personal spiritual information. And here's the question. How much of God's Word do you take in? If you want to be trained in righteousness, uh, there, there has to be the intake of personal spiritual information. You, you've got to invest yourself in this. Now, there are all kind of guilt tactics, and I'm not going to use any of those with you because I don't know that it advances anything. But let me just say this. There are a lot of guilt tactics. You know, things like, do you spend as much time in the Bible as you do reading the newspaper or reading a magazine or, or, or playing video games? Or do you spend as much time as you do in television and all that? Look, I don't think we really want to answer those questions, right? Uh, Paul writes in one of his letters, he says to the church, he says, I hope that your physical health is prospering like your spiritual health. <laughs> what would happen if Paul wrote that to you? Did you get that? I hope We sometimes say, I hope your spiritual life is prospering like your physical health. But he, he just the other. He says, I hope your physical health does as well as your spiritual health is doing. If that were the case, a lot of us would be on IVs trying to survive, right? So to be trained, we've got to take in the Scripture. We've got to take it in. That's personal spiritual information. So ask yourself, just answer the question, how, how much of God's Word do you take in? You know, um, when I, I, I have the same responsibility to do what I'm, I'm preaching to you about, and that is take it in personally. A lot of times people think, well, you know, you must, you must have all sorts of, uh, of time. Well, I'm very busy, but I have to discipline myself personally for spiritual information. Because you know what you can get busy doing? Religious things. And so all of us are busy. We still have to decide, God, am I, going to take, am I going to block out the opportunity to take in your words? Spiritual, personal information. Then number two, you want to be trained in righteousness? You must make personal, spiritual application. Take in personal, spiritual information. Then you must make personal, spiritual application. Here's my question I would ask you as it relates to that. What response do you have to God's word? What do you do with God's word? All right, personal spiritual application. Let's be, as we said last week, doers of the word, not hearers only. And then third, we must allow for personal spiritual transformation. These two are somewhat connected because it's a response. The first says, what am I going to do with God's word? The second says, I'm going to obey God's word, and then I'm going to allow God to change me. Now, I add that. Because of this, James has this section in his little letter in which he talks about a man who, and this is a, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, he gets up and he goes to the mirror in the morning, you know? You know what that looks like, right? Hello? You ever beheld your face in the mirror in the morning? That's what James says. 
And your face right now looks a whole lot like it did about, it looks a whole lot better than it did four or five hours ago. Hello? And that's because we fix our hair, we clean ourselves up, you know, all of that, generally speaking. You know what James says? He says, the person who hears the word of God and does not put it into motion and then allow it to change them is like a person who beholds their face in a mirror, he says, and then walks away and does nothing. You know, what, what happens if you look at yourself and say, yeah, I see some, I need to work on that and that and that, look at that and that, and then you go, okay, and then you walk, you don't do anything about it. And he says, and forgets what he saw in the mirror. You know what he's saying? He said, that person has deceived themselves. And he said, it's just like the person who says, oh yeah, the word of God, man, I love the word of God. I'm reading the Word of God. Yeah, that's what the Word of God tells me to do. I see it. The Word of God is a mirror. It reflects back to me. I see what I ought to do. Okay, that's great. See you. But nothing happens. There's no change. There's no, there's no difference. Why? Because to know it, take in spiritual information, and, and to, to say, here's the application, but then to walk away and not apply it, not do anything, not respond, is deception. The Word of God is to bring about spiritual transformation in our life. All right, all that said, why is that important? It's important because, this is the last blank on your outline, it's important because the result of the Bible's interaction in our life is spiritual competence. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, some translations say, or competent and equipped for every good work. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, the result of the Bible, here's why Paul says it's so profitable, because it makes us competent to do what God created us to do. Every one of us were put here on purpose. And so the Word of God helps us fulfill the purpose of God by making us competent to be what God created us to be. So God has created you. He's created you with a purpose. There, you have a purpose in the big scheme of the kingdom. And, and here's the deal. If you will stay in his word, his word will correct you. It will convict you. It will cultivate your soul. You know, it, it will teach you how to live righteously. And when that happens, it makes you competent. And competence enables you to excel at the purpose that God has created you for. And it just makes sense, right? So he's giving you a manual to say, if you'll do this, if you'll let this manual work in you, this manual will turn you in to who you're supposed to be and who I created you to be at the start. Let me tell you who got it right. The psalmist got it right. Write this reference down. You can go back and read it again. I'm going to read it quickly. Psalm 119, 97 through 104. I think it may be Psalm 1, Psalm 42, Psalm 119 are, are maybe my most favorite psalms. Psalm 63, but listen to what the psalm, he got this whole idea of competence that results from the profitability of the word of God interacting in my life. He wrote and said this, oh, how I love your law. When he uses the word law, he's talking about scripture. They had the Old Testament and the prophets. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. That's competence. It makes me wiser. I have more understanding than all my teachers, 
That's competence. It gives me understanding. For your testimonies are my meditation. Then he says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Guess what? I understand more. Why? Competence. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Competence. It helps me understand temptation and how to fight it. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me competence. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, that's the scriptures, I get understanding, competence. Therefore, I hate every false way. He got it, didn't he? That the scriptures made him wiser, gave him understanding, it taught him, uh, it, it, it helped him avoid temptation, it got everything he needed to be competent. Well, let me, let me close with a story. Alice and I hadn't been married too many years, and I was in ministry. I wasn't a senior pastor, but I was in ministry, and we had been given a very, very expensive vacuum cleaner. And I mean, this is, look, I've been married 39 years, so this was back in the early days of our marriage, and I guess within the first five years of our marriage, we were given this, this vacuum. Now, today, everything's lightweight. These vacuums are lightweight and everything, but this is one of the old ones. It was heavy, heavy duty, and it had cost about $2,000. It was a gift to us. We'd have never been able to afford a vacuum like that, and it was self-propelled. Have you ever had a self-propelled vacuum? Man, I love vacuuming the house with that thing. It was, no, actually, I didn't vacuum. She did. She, she vacuumed, but uh, but it was self-propelled. And one day she says to me, she says, Ray, this vacuum is not working right. I'm having to push it uh, more. It's working just a little bit. I'm having to kind of push it. Something has happened to the, the, the propulsion system inside of it. And I said, well, I'll fix it. And so I spread out in our den, I spread out newspaper, and I brought that vacuum in, and I began to take it apart. And I didn't know how many parts a vacuum like that had. This thing probably weighed... 50 or 60 pounds. And I start taking this thing. It's all iron and all this stuff. I start taking this thing apart. And you know, guys, you know what I'm talking about. You suddenly get into something. You realize, do I keep going with this or do I just... And then you get so far, you say, well, I might as well go now. And that's kind of where I was. I might as well keep taking this thing apart. And so I did and belts and wheels and uh, lots of screws and little bitty parts and springs and all of this thing. And by the time I've got it finished, I bet I got a hundred parts laying out on this, this thing. And I start looking at that and then I panic and I think, I got to put this back together. And I didn't find, I didn't find the problem, which makes it all the worse, right? So I take it now. Now I'm just trying to think this vacuum, how am I going to get this thing back together? And I worked for over four hours trying to get all the pieces and parts back together. And finally, voila, the vacuum is back together. There's not a part left on the floor. And so I tell Allison, I say, babe, let's check it out. See if somehow I fixed it. She plugs it in, and this thing, I, I, oh, I fixed it. This thing becomes super vacuum. <laughs> and you could touch it and it would slide in and that kind of triggered the propulsion system. So this thing now is, I created the vacuum monster. And you would push that thing in and it would just take all, it would drag you. <laughs> I mean, you had to jog behind the vacuum. 
It was aerobic vacuuming. And I promise that is true. I mean, you couldn't, I think we still had that vacuum somewhere in a closet somewhere. I just didn't have the heart to get rid of it and kill somebody through exercise with their vacuum. I mean, it was, you say, what did you do? I don't know. It's like somebody hooked it up to nitrous oxide, you know, and then man, it just take off. We, we couldn't use it. I mean, we tried. Now here's the catch. I did all of that on my own. I put all those pieces back together on my own. I figured this is how it had to work and how it had to go together. But you know what they used to do? I don't know if they still do it, but in a lot of these, uh, uh, these uh, big pieces of machinery, they would include an owner's manual. And with the owner's manual in the back of it, it would have a breakdown of the equipment with all the parts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Guys, you probably know what I'm talking about. You're, you know, you look at so this spring goes here and it number them and it shows how everything worked together. I had that. I didn't use it. I was too smart. I didn't need that. But guess what? That's exactly what we do sometimes in life. Just like that, we, we don't use the manual that tells us how to take the parts of our life and put them back together the way that God designed them to work. And so what we create is a hybrid us that sort of kind of feels like it works, but we know it's not working the way it's supposed to work. And it's all because we're trying, we may even be trying to help God out. God, I'm just trying to help you out here. I, it's me. I know how to put me together. I just need you every once in a while to weigh in uh, and, and help me. But otherwise, I kind of got this thing. And we try to put it back together. And when we do, we don't get it right. There is a way, the Bible says, that seems right to a man. But the end is the way of destruction. And we, we're like that if we're not careful. We try to fix our lives with our ideas. And we may get all the pieces in, but they're not functioning right. All because we think we got it figured out. All because we ignored the owner's manual that tells us how to do life right. So how does the owner's manual become so powerful in your life? You got to know the owner. You got to know the owner. And the good news is you can. And when you know the owner, he comes to dwell inside. And guess what he does? He causes things in this book to come alive. Because it is a living book. And suddenly you start seeing things. That's what the owner says. That works for my life. And then this book becomes... Like the psalmist said, sweeter than honey to my taste. You got to know the owner. Do you know the owner? Would you bow your head, close your eyes? No one looking about in this place. You can know the owner of the owner's manual today. How? By calling on Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You know the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be, but will be saved. And today, I want to invite you to do just that. Watching by live stream, television, right here in this live audience, 
If you're not sure that you know the owner, get sure right now. You can do that by praying a prayer in your heart that goes something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me in spite of me. Thank you, Father, for having the manual that straightens my life out. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need to be straightened up. So, Father, I invite your son Jesus to come into my life and be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you right now. Thank you for your great love for me. You may be here and say, you know what, I know him, Pastor. I, I, I know him, but I really have not been using the word to my benefit. I've been kind of using it as a stopgap, but I haven't been letting it get in me, and I haven't been getting in it. And I want to renew my commitment this morning. Just say something to the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. I renew to you my commitment to govern my life through the filter of your word. Lord, help me to hear your word. Help me to obey your word. Help me to be a doer of your word. Help me to let it set the standard of my life. Now, Lord Jesus, thank you for those who have called on you to be their Savior today. And Father, I pray that you'll begin this wonderful transformation process in their life. For those also, Father, who have called out and said, Lord, I want the book to be the book of my life. I pray that you'll help them as they return to the Scriptures as the filter. And Lord, would you help us to see life in perspective to our Creator. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the Scriptures. We thank you that we can gather and study and, and preach and proclaim and, and look at it now. Help us to go from this place and put it into motion in everything that we do, in our homes, in our work, in our relationships, friends, family, help us to live out the truth, lovingly live out the truth in a world that has forgotten the value of this book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look this way for just a moment before we're gone? Thank you for being here today. Those of you who are joining us by live stream or in this live audience, if you prayed that prayer, calling on Christ to be your Savior today, would you let us know about your decision? You can do it one of, uh, of several ways. But for those of you on live stream, well, in, in this live audience, you can text a word to us. Text the word PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, to that familiar number, 334-384-8080. If you're watching by live stream or television, you'll see that number on your screen. Just text the word PASTOR. We'll take it from there. You can do that in this live audience. Or you can take the tear-off panel and you can indicate your decision. I need to be baptized. We'll schedule that for you. Or I, I want to join Ridgecrest. Or, or I pray that prayer to receive Christ. We'll take it from there. Tear that off and drop that in the offering baskets on your way out this morning. We'll know what to do with that. Don't you worry about it. All right? If you want to join us watching live stream, text that word join. J-O-I-N. I tell you, I, we're, we're stunned. We're amazed at the numbers of people become a part of our Ridgecrest family in the last year. It is just absolutely astounding. There are a lot of people like you watching who say, I I'm not comfortable yet, but I'm going. I'm going to get there. And when you do, you're going to need a church family. We want this to be your church family. You go ahead. You join us. We'll take it from there. That word, join. 334-384-8080. We'll take it from there.